This is Free Talk Live. We'll give you the toll-free call-in lines here momentarily where you can call in and talk live with us. Because like, if you are dead and you're talking, then that's kind of strange. Uh, and if you're just silent and alive, that's not good radio. Well, dead and alive. I mean, that's that's more Games of Thrones, and and we'll be no, talking that's about Bon Jovi. Well, wanted dead and alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, Game of Thrones is coming back, Daryl. And, and I know you occasionally watch that. Yes, yeah, I occasionally uh, read the books again and again, and waiting again. on the next book to come out. Yeah, for yeah. the last fifteen years, well, something like that. But who's counting? Uh, George R. R. Martin and must be a very busy Character guy. development. Character, yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, so so there is that. And I was just thinking of Jon Snow, so. Yeah, uh, he knows nothing. For the watch. And apparently uh, there are some federal employees that, I, I don't know, maybe they know something. Uh, you've got a story we're not going to get into right now, but we will get into about some federal scientists that they probably know some sciencey stuff. They probably uh, do. One would hope. Uh, but there was a court ruling a couple of days ago from a federal judge. Story here from MSN.com. Federal judge on Tuesday ruled that government employees who have been deemed essential can't refuse to work without pay during the partial government shutdown. God forbid. U.S. District Judge Richard Leon denied a temporary restraining order that would have either forced the government to pay workers or allowed them the option to refuse to work while not receiving pay. Leon ruled that such an order would incite chaos and was against the public interest since it's unclear how many workers would choose to still go to work without pay and how many would opt to stay home. He also said it could put the public, or rather put the safety of the public in jeopardy. So, <laughs> this to me seems a little bit unusual. Like it's going to cause chaos if some people go to work and some people don't? Right. Well, see, the thing is, Chris, we need to know how many people are actually going to come to work and how many people aren't going to come to work. Yeah. So it could wind up leading to staffing problems. Uh, Other than say, everybody not being there. The TSA. Well, nobody can wind up going through the security checkpoint at the airport if there's no TSA agents. And, well, sorry, Delta, you're just going to have to cancel all of your flights out of Atlanta. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird situation. And, and I'm really tired of people acting like this is, oh, my God. Trump shut down the government, and it's shut For down. For the third time during his presidency, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I went through five government shutdowns during my time in the military. Ah, during the uh, Clinton administration. Reagan. Okay. Reagan. Five different shutdowns. Uh, I had pay interrupted a few times, and it was an inconvenience. It, it certainly was. Um, right. But being... I don't mil- think anybody's saying that it's not an inconvenience. Right. But it, it was also, I knew I would get paid eventually, um, yes. and these people will get paid eventually, and uh, it's not the end of the world. I mean, this has impacted my life in no measurable way. I, I, I'm i sure there is 
the likelihood. Well, I know that a bunch of web servers are all going to start failing because they haven't updated their uh, their SSL certificates. That's that's a big list of government stuff because God forbid, you know, nobody could go in and upload a, a new certificate. Yeah, and that's going to happen. Uh, I just, I really don't, I don't. And there was a website that I went to a few days ago. I forget which federal government website, but they had a big, huge notice at the top saying, you know, government shutdown website might not be fully operational. Right, and which uh, means that they had to pay somebody <laughs> to go in to change the website to add this disclaimer. On the website. That they do. And and it's usually scare tactics. It's, you yeah. know. Oh, did you see the video out of Tennessee? No. Uh, I believe it was Shiloh National Park. I've been shipping t-shirts. That's all I've been doing. Well, th- so I've not seen this. couple minute long video where Libertarian Party of Tennessee. I heard about this. Had yeah. a park cleanup. And when they got to the park, there was a friendly park ranger that basically told them parks closed you can enjoy it but you're not allowed to pick anything up we know that you came here to clean this park you are not allowed to clean this park dang volunteers i hate that what are they thinking and then there was somewhere down in massachusetts where another group of libertarians went and they were told yeah you're probably not going to find any trash there have been volunteers here every day all week yeah, the only thing I did during a recent shutdown was I went and opened a park. Uh, Gettysburg National Monument was closed down during, this was Obama. All right. Yep, so they, you know, told all the park rangers, you can't go to work, and the park's closed, folks. The moose out front should have told you. Um, I think that every time I hear about a park closed. <laughs> I do, too. Uh, but my girlfriend and I went down there, and we drove around, and we moved barricades. And suddenly the park wasn't closed. There were people driving through it and enjoying the sights and reading about the history and all that. Just like that. All it took was Which moving. Which is what generally happens in Gettysburg because <laughs> the park it's is a, all over the city. Right. And it's a drivable park. You, yes. you kind of drive from one battlefield to another. But it yeah. was just a simple matter of, no, let me see. Stop the car. Uh, move a very light barricade. Four feet to the right. Some type of metal, I'm guessing? Uh, wood, usually. Just like okay. a sawhorse. I mean, a lot okay. of them were sawhorses, and sometimes they went all out and used traffic cones. Okay. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I didn't think that they would have the concrete uh, jersey barriers no, out there, but not, I, I figured they'd at least get you know like the metal stuff that you'd see around the rings of boxing matches. It's too big a park. Too many roads. So it was just fun. And then we'd be driving along and we'd see like, you know, a, a park ranger with his lights on flying along to go, you know, put these cones back up for public safety. And yeah, we'd be moving cones somewhere else. They finally caught us. Um, and, and he asked me for my license, which I refused. I said, right. you know, you're not legally allowed to work. So I'm not <laughs> obligated in any way to give you proof of license or anything i'm I'm in a federal park what are you you're you're supposed to not be working today and i can't remember the act that that says that that you know they they can't do it right Uh, but i quoted that to him and he harassed me until i started filming him and once i started filming him then he kind of kind of shut the hell up so just said be careful and don't move any barricades i'm like i promise i won't (laughs) okay 
Sure. And so then you ask the girlfriend to move the barricade because he didn't tell her not to. Uh, let's continue with the story here and your calls and thoughts. Welcome 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. The ruling in this particular case, again, from U.S. District Judge Richard Leon, uh, came after the judge consolidated three cases making similar claims on the grounds that the government was violating the Constitution in forcing employees to work without pay. The three lawsuits came from the National Treasury Employees Union, the National Air Traffic Controllers Association, and a group of five federal workers. The plaintiffs in the case, or rather the cases, argued that being forced to work without pay was a violation of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery. Oh, please. They also asked that the judge prevent them from being retaliated against for not showing up to work and asked them to allow workers the ability to find other means of income while they're not being paid. The National Treasury Employees Union also argued that by promising workers back pay, the Trump administration was violating the appropriations clause since they're promising to spend funds that have yet to be appropriated. You can promise all you want. You can promise anything you want. But, yeah, that's but, how the federal government's currently $21 trillion in debt. They've been promising. Exactly. Since 1837, we promised we're going to pay you. Just let us borrow a little bit more. Any day now. Any Please, day. sir, may I have some more? <laughs> Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we've got the Discord on-air call-in lines over at discord.lrn.fm. This is Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we've got the Discord on-air call-in line available. Actually, there are four call-in lines available on the Discord, available over at discord.lrn.fm. And want to make sure that you're aware if you're in Miami or in South Florida, you don't have a lot of time to get to Miami if you want to go to the North American Bitcoin Conference because, well, Mark Edge from Free Talk Live is going to be there and I believe he's going to be hanging out with the Bitcoin.com team over at their booth. Mark wants you to stop by, say hi, uh, laugh and point because he will be wearing his king outfit and he has green hair. Uh, Bitcoin.com will have a pop-up store and they're going to be selling stuff for Bitcoin Cash and also helping people get wallets. Uh, if you're not there, you can go to wallet.bitcoin.com, download the wallet, and they also are, I believe, based on the uh, wording Mark has here, I think they're also going to be giving people some free Bitcoin Cash, BCH. And again, if you're not in Miami, you can use the faucet over at free.bitcoin.com. So again, uh, the North American Bitcoin Conference happening through tomorrow, uh, January 18th. So go and see Mark. And if you're not there and you can't make it, head over to Bitcoin.com for a lot of news stuff about Bitcoin. And again, uh, info on how to set up wallets, how to get some Bitcoin, how to spend your Bitcoin, Bitcoin.com. 
com. So jumping back into the article here from MSN, again about the court ruling on Tuesday where U.S. District Judge Richard Leon combined three cases, uh, consolidated is the word they use here, where there were some federal employees saying, hey, you're making us work and we're not getting paid. That's a violation of some rules and stuff, and we should just be able to not show up to work. And you can't hold us, uh, you know, you, you can't hold it against us that we're not coming in. And the judge said, no, if you're deemed an essential federal employee and you're told that you've got to go to work, then you go to work. Article here says the judge sympathized with the plaintiffs, but ultimately said he had to weigh the interest of the public as well as federal workers. He added that the judiciary branch is dealing with its own hardships as a result of the shutdown, but said he did not want the courts to be a factor in the ongoing debate about funding the government. He said the judiciary is not another source of leverage. The American Federation of Government Employees was the first to file a lawsuit against the federal government over the partial shutdown on December 31st, 10 days after the shutdown started, by the way. The lawsuit is based on the Fair Labor Standards Act that entitles federal workers to double pay if they are not compensated on time. I'm sorry. You heard that correctly. I'm sorry. I did hear that, right? Federal workers are entitled to double pay if they are not compensated on time. So all of these workers that are currently working without pay, once the paycheck comes, it's not just going to be back pay. It's going to be double back pay. Well, why haven't I heard that, Daryl? It seems like that's pretty big news that that basically they're going to get time off and a bonus. Well, this is talking specifically about the essential employees Uh, that are working. I get it. I get it. But yeah, they're they're going to be working. I I I just and and not to tell another shutdown story, but I used to work in D.C. and I used to do contracting work down there. And I've told this story before. I walk into the Department of Energy, which is where I was doing my gig. And it's in the middle of a shutdown during Clinton. And guess what? There's as many people in the hallways as there ever are. There's a many as many people behind keyboards clicking away on their computers. It's just it's any other day. And it's driving me nuts because I had to find a parking space. And that wasn't easy in D.C. Right. During a government shutdown. And I asked the, the, my contacts there. I said, what's going on? I thought it was essential personnel only. It's like, yeah, well, the rest of us are just here to to describe why we're essential. We're here to justify why we're essential and why we have to be at work. Wow. Yeah, that's the kind of insanity that goes goes on. So, you know, I, I've worked for the federal government. I've, I've got my paychecks from Uncle Sam, and this is why I don't respect them. I, I just have no respect for this system that is just set to screw the American people. Regardless of who shuts it down, whether it's running or it's shut down, at least when it's shut down, there's a little less evil going on. It's a little less stupidity going on. Maybe a hair, a fraction. I'm going to give that thought the benefit of the doubt. Well, I, I guess if you have the water faucet turned on full blast and then you dial it back to where there's, you know, like three fewer water droplets coming out <laughs> per second. Yeah, 
there's less water coming out of the faucet. Sure. Uh, it's not I'm, a significant amount. I'm going to go with that. But that's the thing. And people assume that, oh, my God, nothing's going on in Washington. Ah, oh, the, the horror, the humanity. It's not the case, folks. There's tons of people working, tons of people right. doing the job. And the only ones you happen to hear about are the few that make a lot of noise about it or they're highly visible. Right. To try to show you how horrible this is. Yeah. Aren't you glad you have us here? And then there was a headline earlier today, not to you know make this a New Hampshire specific thing, but there was headline today: New Hampshire uh, last fiscal year gave four hundred and thirteen billion dollars more to the federal government than they received. Yeah, or four hundred. I, I forget if it was million or billion, but you know some huge amount of money. We're a, a giver that state. Left the state. Yeah, and went to probably million. Million yeah. sounds. Sounds more realistic more given realistic. The, the small population of our state. Yeah. But, you know, you look at stuff like, you know, the Department of Education, you know, and we all know how many children the Department of Education educates. That's a vital zero. Zero. It's a vital. No, it's not vital. Um, you could completely erase an entire cabinet department. Right. And, and it just wouldn't matter. Right. That, and that states would continue to educate children. One thing that's interesting is that in 1980, the Republican Party had as part of their platform the abolishment of the Federal Department of Education. Okay. And now it's considered taboo for libertarians to even advocate <laughs> for the abolishment of the Federal Department of Education. All this thing does is eat up $5 billion a year in budget. So that people in Washington can put together reports. I mean, that's the only meaningful thing. Oh, and they also recommend uh, what to feed kids in school. they do. Uh, And they determined uh, that pizza is a vegetable. uh, Tomatoes were the vegetable. That was back to the Bush one years, I think. Right, but because there's tomato sauce on pizza, pizza, you can just call the whole thing a vegetable. is a vegetable. Sweet. And And there is your diet tip, too. If you want to lose weight, eat lots of vegetables. Preferably pepperoni. Pepperoni, not a vegetable. <laughs> but you put it on pizza and it's a alakazam, I like it's it. magic. Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Bitcoin.com wants you to know about SaveItPurse.com. Since launching in 2014, over 200,000 users have saved an average of 15% for a combined $4 million using Bitcoin, or BTC. And now, you can use Bitcoin Cash, BCH, to fund your account. You can save between 5 to 33% on things you're going to buy anyway when you shop using SaveItPurse.com. Add items to your cart, fund your account, select your discount, and save. SaveItPurse.com. SaveATPurse.com. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Chris. And Chris, we just wound up talking about a court ruling. And I didn't catch what uh, district this ruling was from. Uh, But there was a court ruling earlier in the week where federal judge said that essential federal government employees have to go to work if they are told, go to work. And 
of course, they were upset, arguing that, well, it's a violation of the 13th Amendment, and it's a violation of uh, some apportionment clause or the appropriations clause. Right. Because uh, they're essentially, the, the federal government is essentially promising to spend funds that have yet to be appropriated, and they can't do that because reasons. Uh, but Chris is you pointed out they've been doing that for a long time that's how they're 21 trillion dollars in debt uh but on a related note about some i'm not sure if these are essential or non-essential uh federal employees you've got a story about some government science people scientists daryl what kind of science government's science people what kind of science? I mean, the government employs all kinds of scientists, and we know how critical these people are, right? Well, some of them are rock scientists. We call them geologists. Some of them are rocket scientists. Uh, we call them NASA engineers. Uh, there's probably a food scientist or three that work for the or, FDA. Or three. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there might be 12. Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh you know, as slow as they work on actually approving new drugs, there might only be one, uh, or it could be three short people in a lab coat. I'm not really sure. I've never been to the FDA, but this, this article th- there are some scientists. There are scientists, and uh, excuse me. Um, this article comes to us from Wired, and uh, and the author of this article. Um, who is Eric Nyler says the shutdown shows us just how vital government scientists are. All right. So we're going to learn, Daryl, about the vital work that may not be getting done because of this government shutdown. All right. Instead of figuring out how many Pacific hockey fishermen can catch sustain- sustainably, as his job demands, scientist Ian Taylor is at home with his four-month-old daughter, biding his time through the partial government shutdown. Taylor's task is to assess the size and age of hockey, H-A-K-E, and other commercially harvested fish species in the productive grounds from Baja, California to the Gulf of Alaska. These stock assessments are then used by the federal managers to approve permits for West Coast fishing boats. Without Taylor's scientific report, the season could be delayed, and the impact of the shutdown could spread beyond the 800,000 government employees now on furlough to include boat captains, deckhands, and others working in the seafood industry who won't be able to head to sea on schedule. That's what's happened to Alaskan crabbers during the last big federal shutdown in 2013. All right, so there's at least one factual error here where they mention 800,000 federal government employees that have been furloughed. Right. No. <laughs> 400,000 have been furloughed. Right. 400,000 have been told you're essential, you work without pay until we give you uh back pay plus a bonus of additional double back pay. Yeah. So I I guess and I brought this story in kind of tongue in cheek, Daryl. I was Surprised by the headline, first of all, because I happen to be of the belief that there are a whole lot of people employed by the federal government who would be better off, and we as taxpayers would be better off 
if they were not employed by the federal government. Right. Now, you're not saying, or maybe you are, uh, (laughs) that there should not be a scientist determining how many people can catch or how how many uh, Pacific hockey, which is a fish that I'd never heard of. Well, Darren. but, this, this, this is this, this guy's whole life, right? And but, you've never even heard of it, right? There are lots of things I've never heard of, right? Uh, I couldn't tell you what they are because I've never heard of them. But you're not saying that you know, like this isn't something that uh, maybe these Alaskan crab fishermen might want to hire somebody to calculate for them. They might. That's interesting. I, I wonder if you could get together some sort of a you know industry. Uh, industry association that would go out and and survey fish species to determine whether they're overfishing because it's not in the fishermen's best interest to overfish right it is in the short term and that would be very short-sighted because all of a sudden they would find themselves without fish period so this is one of those sort of tragedy of the commons things it is Um, and there's also sort of the unseen to fish quotas where it actually winds up leading to overfishing. Yes. Because it doesn't matter how many fish that are below size that you pull in from the nets when you're 30 miles out in the ocean. There's somebody, when you get to shore, that is going to check the stuff. Right. So you've got all that time to go through and then measure, and because, hey, we've got fish to catch, you're just worried about pulling in all the nets and crab buckets and whatever. Right. And then check it over later and, oh, well, we've got a bunch of dead fish here. So this story portrays this uh, poor gentleman, you know, Dr. Taylor, as one of those guys who's working very hard to make sure that they're, you know, that that the hockey fish, H-A-K-E, uh, is being harvested responsibly and in his mind. It doesn't say that he's a doctor, says he's a scientist. Okay, that's you, a good You just point. gave him a promotion to doctor. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm going to assume he's got a, a, a PhD in something, but well, I'm probably generally wrong. Generally, that's thrown into every article where somebody that's has a, a good, PhD. That's, that's a good point. He's, he's probably got an associate's degree, or he just scored well on some government test. Um, His cousin was the guy hiring fish scientists. Right. But here we have a guy. So what do you think a fish scientist makes? I mean, I don't have this answer off the top of my head. I'll wager he does. I'll wager with benefits. He pulls home a pretty nice paycheck. He's he's got top-of-the-line benefits. And his job is to make sure that that the hockey fish isn't over-searched, over-fished. Taylor, an operational research analyst. Okay, so he's got an associate's degree. At the National Organ, uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Association's Northwest Fishery Science Center, says he's frustrated that he can't do his job. He can't even make phone calls or use email. Quote, it feels like a terrible situation. He said, important work is not getting done, unquote. Now, I, I just had to laugh at that sentence. He can't make a phone call or use email. I was thinking he should ask his 12-year-old. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, everybody asks their 12-year-old for computer help. Right. There you go. President Trump says he will not sign legislation to operate large chunks of the federal government unless Democrats agree to approve more than $5.7 billion for a wall along the Mexican border. Trump said Monday he plans to visit the border Thursday, hinting that any compromise will likely not happen before then. 
Some federal science agencies are open, such as the National Institute for Health and the Department of Energy. See what I I was talking about, the Department of Energy? Yep. They were successful because they're all working. Some federal agencies, including the Department of Energy, since their appropriation bills were already signed by Trump. Others, such as NASA, are continuing to operate key programs, such as the International Space Station, although 95% of its 15,000 workers were sent home on December 22nd. The shutdown has led to a hodgepodge of federal science-based activity across the country. A SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket is sitting on a launch pad at Cape Canaveral, ready for a planned launch on January 17th. But without NASA personnel to oversee testing, the liftoff will be delayed. Wait, I thought SpaceX was a private company. Yeah, how's that work? Let's dive into it when we come back. Plus your calls and thoughts, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Chris. And we've been talking about some fish scientists, which I, I, you know, had you asked me, you know, Daryl, is fish science a thing? I probably would not have said no, but I had not necessarily heard specifically of fish science. But there's a guy, uh, Ian Taylor, who is a federal government fish scientist. His actual employee or his actual title is Operations Research Analyst for NOAA's Northwest Fishery, NOAA being the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association. And I I was curious, how much do Operation Research Analyst make? Well, yeah, and you asked me that. Yeah. Off the air. And I was I, I threw out a number first. I said but probably about a hundred and thirty thousand, but then as he read it, he said, you know, but you only need a bachelor's degree. Yep. You're reading more into the description. I'm like, well, then I'm I'm gonna go with seventy, eighty thousand. Yeah. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics has information here. Uh the median pay during 2017 was $81,390 per year. Yep. And as of 2016, which was the last year for which they had statistics on this particular occupation, there were 114,000 of them is this public across sec- the country. Public sector or private sector? Yes. But, total. But total, okay. And then I noticed they've got a bunch of little tabs up at the top. Oh. What do they do? How convenient. How to become one. Pay. And I was like, well, they already have pay, but let me just click on this. And they have it broken down even further. Federal government, manufacturing, professional scientific and technical services, okay, management of companies and enterprises, and finance and insurance. Good. So you can answer my question. I'm just concerned about the federal government. How, do, how much does Fishman uh, Dr. Alleged, no, he doesn't have to be a doctor because you only need a bachelor's degree. Right. We think. Uh, $111,570 per year. Wow. Is the median annual <laughs> wage for a federal employee who is an operations research analyst. Well, there must only be like, what, three or four of those guys running around. 
Uh, not sure. Uh, <laughs> but we do know there's a bunch of them, and yeah. that sounds like a title uh, the governments would use more so than public private sector uh, employers. So yeah. the, the point is here, this poor guy who's not able to do his uh, vital fish counts of hockey fish uh, up and down the West Coast pulls home $111,000 plus federal government benefits. Yes. Plus a pension, which you people uh, listening will be able to happily pay uh, Fishman Taylor for. What do you for, mean, you people? For the rest of your lives. Uh, this will be an ongoing cost uh, right. to the to the taxpayer, and and this is the kind of thing that goes on. But this this article again right. is titled and, "Look How Vital Our Scientists Are." Right, and it mentions that there are uh, fifteen thousand workers at NASA. Right, ninety five percent of whom have been sent home. I guess they need the other five percent to make sure that the International Space Station stays afloat that to me is pretty much the only moral obligation they have to stay there it's you know that that somebody should be there because you do have lives at stake never mind that we put them there in the first place um but they should um they they should make sure that those those men and women are safe i i kind of get that the rest of them here's the thing folks if you have a government shutdown and it goes on for let's say you know, let's say this thing goes on for six months. Oh my God, Daryl! I mean, can you imagine the the disasters that could occur? How about if it happens that after a month, after two months, after six months, people realize that well, we didn't really need all that anyway, right? And I think that's what people are scared of. That people in the government are scared of that right. they will find out that the world didn't end. We're we're almost a month into this thing. And what's going to be interesting, and there's more from this article that uh, we might want to get into. Uh, Depends on where the conversation goes. Uh, But Trump said that he's willing for this thing to last for years. Okay. Well, (laughs) I'm sorry. I I just got a stupid grin on my face. I've been waiting for a president to say that my whole life. Well. One, I don't think it will. I know that. Because but don't, at don't some burst point, my bubble, Daryl. Well, let me explain yeah. for everybody that's not sitting across the room from me. Uh at some point the expended or the appropriations for paying the military is going to run out. Sure. At some point the appropriations for funding the other seventy five percent of the government that's not part of this partial government shutdown. Yep. Is going to run out. Yep. What do am you do I then? To believe, am I to believe for one second that Donald Trump is not going to sign a bill to keep the military paid? Oh, of course Because he, he said, I don't believe him, but he said that he will veto every spending bill that comes to his desk that does not include $5.7 billion for a wall. Yeah, Donald If and his it wall. comes to pay the military or keep everything shut down... Right. Will he sign the bill to pay the military? Oh, and I, we know that, Darryl. knowing how bloated the National Defense Authorization Act always is, yes. will Congress just throw funding for everything other than the wall <laughs> into the NDAA? You wouldn't even notice it. Uh, I mean, seriously, the NDAA, what's the bill on that thing? A trillion? Uh, close to. 
close to. Yeah. I think the last one was like seven hundred and eighty billion. Yeah. So seven hundred and eighty billion close to a trillion are, are federal. And then there's are all bu- kinds of other appropriations made to the military that winds up giving us that nearly one trillion. Oh yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, you got a four trillion dollar budget, seven hundred and eighty billion dollars ballpark is soaked up in supporting our troops in their vital missions to protect us in 700 different countries other than the United States, which they do, we have military bases in somewhere close to 700 countries. There's not 700 countries. I'm uh, sorry. We've 700 got military 700 bases, bases in about 170. 170 countries. Well, depending on how you count, because based on one count, if you count the territories as autonomous places right Right. the point is you count them as you know like oh yeah that's part of this place then yeah it's somewhere between 130 and 170 let me continue with my thought if i can pick it back up but the point is is if if we you know he says you know while we're at it we need to beef things up there so let's just let's just make it around make it around trillion well i'll sign an appropriations bill for our military for one trillion dollars you can look at that a few ways you've either funded the military in excess of what they've been doing or you've actually secretly uh slushed in you know a quarter of a year one quarter of one right. year in uh the government's needs or 90 days worth of spending so it, the whole thing is absurd right it, it, and you know the only reason that we're even talking about you know like uh maybe they can like hide some funding for things in the military appropriations bill is because Congress keeps failing to do its job of actually passing a year-long budget. They keep doing these concurrent resolutions. No, Daryl, that's in the Constitution. They must pass a budget. Just the last time they did it was in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, It's been a while. 2006 was the last time your congressman actually sat down and passed a budget. The thing that they are supposed to do every year. They don't do that anymore. You know what they do? They pass continuing resolutions. They pass a little appropriations bill to the tune of $780 billion. Yeah. They do things like that. They do a farm bill. A farm bill that was, what, close to a trillion dollars? Sucked into that thing? I don't and even it, remember. And but it had tons of stuff you know, in it that all, had nothing to do with farms. Libertarians were all happy that the farm bill passed because, well, there was, uh, you know, one of the 700 amendments that got added to it said that uh, industrial hemp is no longer illegal. Yeah. Congratulations. Ooh, yay. There was one good provision <laughs> in an otherwise absolutely horrible bill. So uh, it, please forgive me for not doing backflips in celebration. Right. And, and please, uh, I almost... I almost cursed in a very crude way, but let's not go patting ourselves on the back because the government makes it through another year by not passing a budget. When they don't pass a budget, that means that taxation and appropriations get done behind closed doors in all these myriad bills that you will never see. You will never see another budget passed where you can read the whole thing start to finish and it makes sense forget it those days are gone oh it's never going to make sense and nobody's going to actually be able to read it start to finish before they actually vote on it because that's how things work hour two coming up next this is free talk live 
Smart Cash is a peer-to-peer digital currency that is fast, secure, and easy to use. Smart Cash also features smart rewards, a price stabilization mechanism, and a way to encourage long-term holding. Long-term holders are key to the project's success. You can earn smart rewards on any address for which you hold the private keys, which holds at least 1,000 smart for one month and does not make any outgoing transactions during that time. Smart rewards are distributed every 47,500 blocks to all eligible addresses. Learn more at smartcash.cc. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can call in and talk live to us, and you can do so freely by dialing toll-free 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we've got the Discord on-air call-in lines available over at discord.lrn.fm. In studio tonight, it's Daryl. And Chris. And we've been talking about the uh, ever-important, or as Wired says, vital government scientist... Uh, one of them being a fish scientist whose official title, and I had just closed the tab, operations research analyst mm-hmm. who probably makes at least $111,570. Uh, that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the median wage for federal government operations research analyst, uh, where he's saying, I can't do fish science anymore, and that makes me sad. Well, he counts fish, Daryl, and that's important. Otherwise, fishermen don't know how many fish they're allowed to catch. Right, but could the fishermen not just hire the fish counter themselves? (laughs) Well, fish counters aren't good with customers, Daryl. I'm trying to work in a little office space stuff there. Yeah. Um, but that's the right, silliness so the, of the this. The fish so, counters associate the, the, the guild of fishermen hire a fish counter. Yeah. And then they could see what impact they're having on the total number of fish. That makes sense to you and I. Um, but but we there's this belief that none of these things could ever occur without government. Right. That's why we were told uh, we need private companies like SpaceX and what's right. the other one? Blue Horizon? Blue Horizon, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to shoot these rockets up into space. But apparently uh, there's a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket sitting on a launch pad that was supposed to have launched today. <laughs> But without NASA personnel to oversee the launch, they can't do it. Right. Then More. what's the purpose of having the private company blow things into space? Well, I think of Elon. If we e- Elon. still need NASA to stand there to say, yep, you can push the button. Right. So when you hear companies talk about how much money they're saving by taking these previously you know, government-run programs and making them private sector, you have to question these things because they work hand in hand. And right. in, in the case of Elon Musk, we've reported on a, a, a dozen times, you know, th- here's a guy that at last count had received somewhere north of $5 billion from the U.S. government in handouts and tax credits and, and everything else. And his whole business model sur- is is all about how do I get money from the government right. to support my projects or to... Uh, make them feasible in the first place and that's not it um so so yeah this one's delayed also crews that fly over the atlantic 
to check on endangered Atlantic right whales and send those positions to commercial ships are still working, but they aren't being paid. So, again, do we need NASA personnel to to watch whales? And I know that the right whales are endangered. I, I get that. Right. I, I like they whales. They in the ocean, and NASA deals with space. I know that, but they have satellites up there that they can track right whales. I'm but, just thinking that you would have, like, you know, NOAA doing the, this. You would think. The, the oceanag, you know... Uh, Oceanic and atmospheric yeah, the, association. The oceanic people. Right. Um, like they should do ocean stuff. Right. And NASA should do space stuff. And you would think there would be some sort of clear delineation there if, if things were run But I reasonably. believe they both have their own SWAT teams for some reason. They do. Um, weather forecasters are working during the shutdown, but hundreds of scientists from NOAA and the National Weather Service have been banned from attending the annual American Meteorological meteorological society meeting this week in phoenix wait they are banned banned from the meteorological society i know and they were going to have the after party at hooters you know they're going to order all the hamburgers i'm just i just you're you're complaining because you were banned from going on a government boondoggle to attend an, an annual meteorological society meeting. Now, I'm sure these guys discuss important things. Well, and I'm sure that there are vital papers that come out that the meteorologists should know about. But I've also never been to any event involving a large group of professionals. And I've been to a few uh, where there wasn't a ton of booze and right. chasing ladies. Well, I, I'm curious here. And, you know, it could just be wired using the word band. Right. I'm wondering if it's just a thing of, yet yeah, since the government shut down, FedGov is no longer paying for you to go. Probably. If you want to, you know, buy the ticket out of your own pocket. Oh yeah. Go ahead. That's not banned. That's just you not getting a paid vacation. Right. Those are two different things. Yep. Antonio Busalaki was supposed to be on a panel with colleagues from federal weather agencies, but they didn't show up. Science is a community, and this is where people come together to discuss common problems, says Bukalachi, president of the University Corporation for Atmospheric Development. Not sure what development we're doing in the atmosphere. Uh, Article that I have pulled up says academic research. That sounds about right. A consortium of academic institutions that conduct and promote the study of Earth sciences, which means they get money likely from the federal government to study the atmosphere, and Earth science. Yes. Um, quote, last month we were talking about the workforce in the future, but now we can't discuss how best to go forward, unquote. The University Corporation for Atmospheric Research is a nonprofit consortium of more than 100 colleges and universities providing research and training in the atmospheric and related sciences, uh, UCAR manages the National Center for Atmospheric Research and provides additional services to strengthen and support research and education through its community programs. Right. So in a nutshell, they are tax-free. They they are tax-exempt. They don't have to pay income taxes, um, yet they are funded, I will wager, in a large part by the federal government and your tax dollars. Uh, uh, probably so. Yeah. Busalaki is also worried that he may have to shut down a meteorological research program UCAR runs called Cosmic, 
It uses a fleet of existing GPS satellites to measure the atmosphere's temperature and humidity. The data is then sent to federal NWS, National Weather Service forecasters, who use it to make both short-term weather and long-term climate predictions. Uh, Climate predictions over the long term are notoriously flawed. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm uh, so sorry. It's so insensitive of me to bring that up when Miami and New York are underwater. Because that's what those climate models said they would be. Uh, what, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, so, with the hockey stick graph that Al Gore invented? Yeah, we got that. And uh, uh, my, Now, I did find out where the funding comes from for UCAR. Funding includes grants from and contracts with NOAA, NASA, <laughs> Department of Defense, the FAA, Department of Energy, the EPA, and other agencies and organizations. There you go. So, yeah, they're largely funded by the federal government while being a private nonprofit consortium of more than 100 colleges and universities. Right. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, that could either be done in the private sector or they could just go away. Uh, quote, we may be running the risk of shutting down a program because we're not getting the funds from the government, unquote, he says. If Cosmic gets shut down, data analysis would be paused potentially weakening some forecasts because forecasts are so good today. Right. Um, so th- there's been, you know, since you're talking about forecasts, I've been hearing for like two, three days now, storm coming to New England, uh, going to hit all of the Northeast, uh, somewhere between two to three feet of snow, but it might be two to three inches. Right. Uh, and there might be some ice or maybe it's freezing rain or no rain. Uh, there may or may not be heavy wind and the temperatures will be somewhere between negative 10 to 20 degrees above freezing. Yeah. There's your forecast. You heard it here first. And that's as accurate as anything you're going to get. No, um, accurate is the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, it's only one day away. Your calls and thoughts. Welcome, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we've got the Discord call in lines available over at discord.lrn.fm. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733 in studio tonight. It's Daryl. And Chris. And want to make sure that I tell you about Smart Cash, which is a newer cryptocurrency. It's been around for, I'm wanting to say, coming up on two years, which in the, you know, Grand scheme of cryptocurrencies, relatively new, but, uh, you know, compared to Bitcoin, which has been around for 10 years, there's probably things that, you know, like got released last week that there's only like four people that are using. But Smart Cash is trying to, and I, I realize most cryptocurrencies say we're trying to do something different, but they actually appear to be trying to do something different. They're fast, secure, easy to use. The uh, cell phone app, very easy to use. I've not used, I've personally not used the uh, web or not the web application, but like the uh, computer full, uh, full thing. Client or 
uh, they've got you know full client. They've also got I think just a standalone wallet for computers. Hmm. I've not used those. Heard that they're super easy as well. And something else that sets Smart Cash apart is the Smart Hive governance model and how the community can vote to fund the best projects with block rewards stored in the Smart Hive project treasury. You might be asking yourself, Daryl, how's that different from some of the other cryptos that let people vote? Well, unlike other cryptos with voting systems, Smart Cash allows everybody to vote. One smart equals one vote. Whereas with some of the others, you need a thousand or ten thousand set aside, and then you know those ten thousand coins are one vote. Smart Cash also has smart rewards, which rewards people for holding for you know a longer term, if you will. So what they do with these smart rewards is for any address for which you hold the private keys and hold at least 1,000 smart for at least one month from the time they take the snapshot and have no outgoing transactions during the time, you wind up getting smart rewards distributed to your wallets. Smart rewards are distributed roughly every month. It's 47,500 blocks distributed to all eligible addresses. Again, to be eligible has to be an address for which you hold the private keys where you have at least 1,000 smart and have had no outgoing transactions since the last snapshot. Learn more at smartcash.cc. That's smartcash.cc. There's more from the Wired article about uh, government scientists being vital and how the uh, supposed shutdown is impacting things like SpaceX not being able to blast off a rocket. But SpaceX is a private company, you ask. Yep. And they're dependent upon FedGov for certain things. Before we get back to the article, let's go to Sarah calling in from New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Oh, yeah. Um, I was hoping that Jackie was uh, on tonight. Hello? Yes. Yeah, no, it's Hello? it's Daryl and Chris. We're, we're sorry to disappoint you. Can you hear me? I guess Sarah cannot hear us. I'm going I'm... to put her on hold, or I was going to put her on hold. She appears to have dropped the line. Uh, so call screener, if she calls back, let her call in. I know normally it's one call per night, but appeared to be some technical difficulties there. So, Chris, let's uh, continue with the Wired article here. Yeah, we we were discussing how, you know, a bunch of government scientists are, are not allowed to attend the American Meteorolo- Meteorological Society meeting in Phoenix um, and how this is crucial to them. Right. So that's just one example of, of crucialness that, that government scientists have. Um the the gentleman the gentleman that's being interviewed was Mr. Busalaki, who works for the National Weather Service, um, and he says that they may have to shut down this program called Cosmic that uses a fleet of existing GPS satellites to measure the atmosphere's temperature and humidity. Um, the data is then sent to federal NWS forecasters, who use it not only for uh, regular predictions of weather, which they do with astounding inaccuracy. Um, but also for long-term climate models, which are even uh, more flawed. Um, quote, we must be running, we may be running the risk of shutting this program down because we are not getting the funds 
from the government, unquote, he said. If Cosmic gets shut down, data analysis would be paused, potentially weakening some forecasts. As we said before, those forecasts are sort of weak already. Right. But equally frustrating is the fact that Busalaki is left in the dark of how to handle the program. With no information coming from his federal partners, he doesn't know whether to keep his spending money or to sustain the program or pull the plug. Reams of scientific data are still being collected remotely by federal-operated satellites, automatic river gauges, and other non-federal scientists. But the policies and permits that rely on this science are now in limbo. As a result, one legal expert worries that the shutdown could result in more air and water pollution being discharged by companies with permits that expire during the shutdown. So, again, this is typical. We don't have to worry about, uh, I I think, is the EPA doing some polluting during the shutdown. (laughs) Because they are known for that. Uh, they will not go to the, what was the river? I want to say... Uh, uh, some river out in Colorado. Starts with a C, but you know the, the EPA went in because they suspected that it was leaking something. Um, and they went out there to fix it. And by fix it, I mean they basically blew a hole that let all the dangerous stuff into the river. Yes. And, uh, and for like... You know, two or three days, everybody was talking about this is why we need the EPA to prevent private companies from doing this pollution. And then it came out. No, it was an EPA science guy. Yeah. Who who did all that? Um, And none of the environmental. uh, This is, again, a quote by let me see. Uh, This is. is Caleb Bennett. Yep. Quote. None of the federal environmental laws are written in such a way if the government is shut down. You can't you can't do anything about it," said Kyla Bennett, senior attorney for the nonprofit group. Again, nonprofit group, Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, which advocates on behalf of federal workers and a former EPA employee. Uh, instead, the law implies that companies can proceed on their own. Unquote. It says, "If you don't hear anything, go ahead." Unquote. Well. That, to me, kind of makes sense. If you're not causing any harm, if none of your neighbors are complaining about what you're doing, then you should proceed. Uh, You shouldn't sit around and wait for a federal government, which is notoriously inefficient, to say, yes, you can do this. Um, This is backwards. The Environmental Protection Agency furloughed about 14,000 of its employees last year. Uh, leaving just 753, quote, essential, unquote, workers on the job. That might make it more difficult for the agency to meet legal deadlines later this year for safety assessments of about 40 chemicals, according to a news report in the journal Nature. The agency has already postponed at least one upcoming advisory committee meeting related to the work. I'm sorry. These these things are so crucial, Daryl, and they're, we're, we're seeing late reports. We're seeing meteorologist not able to attend a, a big party I, in I need Phoenix. the TPS reports by noon on Friday. Right. And your calls and thoughts 855-450-FREE That's 855-450-3733 Ron Paul Judge Napolitano, Doug Casey Larkin Rose. The biggest names in the liberty movement will be at the largest gathering of freethinkers, voluntarists, libertarians, and ANCAPs in Acapulco, Mexico from February 14th through the 19th 2019 at Anarchapulco. You'll love the lineup of speakers for four days among the sun and beaches of a world-class resort. Go to anarchapulco.com and use code FTL to register and receive 15% off. Anarchapulco.com, code FTL. 
This is Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Chris. And Chris, have you heard the good news from Sprint? I'm I'm reading it just now, Daryl, because you brought it up, and yeah, I, I wanted to get ahead of you a little apparently, bit. Apparently, uh, they're going to stop selling location data to third parties after a motherboard investigation. I've got an article here, actually, from Vice, uh, which is on their motherboard uh, subdomain. Let's jump into it. I, I did uh, read something from UPI earlier and then realized oh wow that article is much shorter than i remembered let's see if i can find something longer so got this from motherboard they say last week motherboard revealed that at&t t-mobile and sprint had all been selling their customers real-time location data that ultimately ended up in the hands of bounty hunters and people unauthorized to handle the data Motherboard found this by purchasing the capability to geolocate a phone for $300 on the black market. In response, AT&T and T-Mobile said they were stopping all sales of location data to third parties. Nearly a week later, Sprint has committed to doing the same. The, The say Sprint issued a statement to Motherboard, but then apparently there was a spokesperson from Sprint, who said, as a result of recent events, we have decided to end our arrangement with data aggregators. Well, good. So, and to me, it's, it's sort of a mixed bag. Um, when you sign a contract with a company for some sort of service, like cell phone service, yep. in there in that fine print, that you know, that thing you never read, yep. but you eagerly sign because you can't wait to get your hands on your new Galaxy 9 Uh is are these details where they have claimed rights to your data and you just signed them over right and, and if they want to sell them to anybody they want they can well i i've got questions about uh some of the no contract cell service right where you know like i know t-mobile offers it uh the company that i go through they uh you know have a deal with sprint where it runs off of the sprint towers sure but I technically have a no contract plan. How much did you have to sign for that? I pay. I didn't sign anything. Did you click OK on something on a website? Probably a probably, decade ago. Probably you did. And uh, that's the thing. Because there's no contract doesn't mean there's no paperwork. Right. And once they have your phone number and they have access to you, all your data, every bit of your data flows through their systems, they can do what they wish. Um Right. So there so, is a difference between no contract and and you know black something without yeah, paperwork. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just pointing it out because you mentioned about you know signing a contract, which I think most people with cell phones have a service agreement of some sort. Sure. Uh, where you know, like they've actually signed some physical document right. somewhere, and it probably says that you know we may use. Parts of your data, uh, information about you for certain marketing purposes. Yeah. So question here, and I'm hoping that you know. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, Who are these data aggregators that Motherboard refers to? Yeah. So data aggregators exist in in the web world and the mobile web world and everything else. They basically buy all the data 
uh, from companies like Sprint or companies like Comcast or right. any of these others uh, so they can mine it. Uh, by mining, what I mean is they will you know, use big data and analysis to determine uh, what types of things you're likely to like and want. And they will then sell that to advertisers or, or to people selling advertising. And that's why, you know, I, I can target people. We're doing some some Facebook advertising right now. All right. You know, I'm, I'm able to target people that show a, a strong interest in really good food and they follow uh, current news events and viral right. stories and that they are um, likely to buy be interested a buy a t-shirt a t-shirt that says fa keen great on it yes which you can only buy at route 101 local goods or route 101 gifts.com right so uh i i remember covering something a while back where there's always the stories of, you know, like Facebook is listening to the microphone on my phone and Facebook says, no, we're, we're not doing that. Uh, and I read a story that, you know, sort of explained the process of how you wind up seeing certain ads on Facebook. And some of it was, you know, like talking about the data aggregators where let's say you've got a CVS rewards card. Yeah. And you go in and you buy certain things. Yep. Well, they, you know, CBS is selling the info to some data aggregator that's getting info from somewhere else and somewhere else. And then they're just doing like two plus two and yeah. coming out with, oh, you bought tissues and this and that. Uh, you might want to buy Motrin. Well, this is this is a real concern that that a lot of people should have. It's not that Sprint is the sole source of data about you. Right. If you have a Sprint phone. What the data aggregators are able to do is say, okay, we see that he has a Sprint phone, so that gives us location data. We see that he's signed up for these 30 or 40 rewards programs, right. so we know what he's doing in all these stores. Uh, we can see his credit report because that's public information, right? Anybody can pull that stuff, right? I don't know if it's necessarily public information, well, but Equifax has been hacked so many times it, it might as well be. It doesn't matter. It's not like you need a court order to get somebody's uh, you know, financial history and background. Right. You can do that if you're a big company just by opening an account with Equifax or right. one of the big three. So I have all his financial data. I know everything. I, I can see what he's posting about. I can I can mine his uh, social media or heard social media for certain keywords. Right. And it generates this huge and complex file about you. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's how these companies are making money. And the, the long and the short of it is, is if you choose to lead an open life, you're going to have a lot of conveniences because of that. You're not right. going to see ads that are in, not pertinent to you. You're probably going to get some good offers you'll take advantage of. The downside is, is, Somebody really does know everything about you, probably more than you know about yourself. Right. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's some kind of fine print in whatever, you know, even if you're just clicking an I agree button online. Yeah. Well, there's no chance for you to say, well, I don't agree to this one specific line. Right. Take it or leave it. You either agree to all of it 
or you agree to none of it. Right. Uh, continuing on with the Motherboard article here, Sprint did not provide a timeline on when data access selling may end, but T-Mobile and AT&T had previously said their processes will be complete in March. In Motherboard's investigation, the phone they located was on the T-Mobile network. The access to location data was sold through a complex network of different companies. T-Mobile said the access, or rather they sold the access to a so-called location aggregator called Zumigo. Zumigo then sold it to a company called Microbuilt, which caters to various clients, including bounty hunters. A bounty hunter then sold the phone location data to a source who then provided it to Motherboard. Last year, the New York Times and Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon showed how another location aggregator called Location Smart had sold data to Secure Us, a middleman company, which provided phone tracking services to low-level law enforcement without a warrant. In response, <laughs> Verizon, AT and T, Sprint, and T-Mobile all cut off access to Secure Us and vowed to do more to clean up this overlooked side of the telecommunications data industry. Sprint statement continued, last year we decided to end our arrangement with data aggregators, but assessed that the negative impacts to customers for services like roadside assistance and bank fraud alerts slash protection that would result required a different approach. Wow. There's more to this article, plus your calls and thoughts. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we've got the Discord on-air call-in lines available over at discord.lrn.fm. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio tonight, it's Daryl. And Chris. And before we get back to the Motherboard article here about Sprint, I think making the right decision to stop selling uh, data, customer phone data, to third parties. Uh, Now, they do mention some of the problems that could be associated with that such as uh, services like roadside assistance and say bank fraud alerts not working properly if roadside assistance and your bank don't have your location data Uh, again more from the article that we'll get to in just a second but maybe you're looking for a good night's sleep And you don't want to rely on a cell phone because trying to use a cell phone for a pillow, bad idea. You want a good pillow and you actually, you want my pillow, but you can't have mine. It belongs to me, but you can get a MyPillow from the company MyPillow. And I am super happy with mine. Chris, you've had one. I think you're happy as well. I am happy. And I slept well last night on my pillow. And it's designed to help you get a good night's sleep. And with a 60-day money-back guarantee, you really have nothing to lose. Go to MyPillow.com, get two MyPillow premium pillows for one low price, and get free shipping on all orders when you use promo code FTL. And remember, if for some reason you don't like your MyPillow, you have 60 days to return it for a refund of the purchase price. 
That's MyPillow.com, promo code FTL. Jumping back into the article here again, Sprint saying that they're going to join companies like AT&T and T-Mobile in cutting off uh, third parties from uh, being able to buy cell phone location data. Again, statement from Sprint says, last year we decided to end our arrangements with data aggregators, but assessed the negative impacts to customers for services like roadside assistance and bank fraud that would require a different approach. But Sprint's move, like that of AT&T and T-Mobile, will see it cutting access to location aggregators altogether. An AT&T spokesperson previously told CNET, last year we stopped most location aggregation services while maintaining some that protect our customers, such as roadside assistance and fraud prevention. In light of recent reports about the misuse of location services, we have decided to eliminate all location aggregation services, even those with clear consumer benefits. A spokesperson from T-Mobile previously told Motherboard via email that the company is completely ending location aggregation work in March as planned and as promised. Last week, Verizon told the Washington Post it is closing down four remaining location aggregator contracts. All of those deal with roadside assistance companies. Once that process is complete, consumers will have to give Verizon permission to share their location with firms. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting point in this whole conversation is it's relatively easy given the granularity of rights that you wish to grant to a app on your phone. You know, do you do you want this app to have access to your contacts, right. yes or no? Do you want this app to have contacts no, to your camera, location? you don't need access to my contacts. <laughs> right. You no, don't. camera, you don't need access <laughs> to my location. Yes, camera, you do need access to the camera. camera. Right. So we're used to seeing these things. So if companies choose to be more consumer-friendly and more privacy-aware, they can easily build those those uh, things into their applications. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's a thing, responsible thing to do. Some of the things that you mentioned, I think, have a lot more to do with the operating system possibly requiring that. Right. Or um, the app store that you're going through requiring apps that want to access various things. Asking, hey, if you want to be listed in our app store, and I don't know if you know, yeah. Google Play or any of the things do this, but you know it could be possible of oh you want listed okay you've got to have privacy protections right right um and and app developers pretty much do that already the question is is what are the carriers doing because the carriers whether you've said yes or no right to something they they have the data anyway right. so i guess the question is will phone manufacturers put in some sort of safeguard against the uh the carrier themselves and i think that's a good idea too right it it, as a consumer i would appreciate that right uh continuing on verizon has not responded to motherboard's multiple requests for comments since starting the investigation on wednesday house committee on energy and commerce gop leaders wrote letters to at&t mobile sprint and verizon requesting answers to a variety of questions, including asking the telcos to identify which third parties they have shared location data with and information, uh, or rather location data and information with at any time since 2007. 
The letter also asked the telcos how they evaluate the efficacy of audit programs to ensure data data customers are obtaining consent from those being monitored and whether they are aware of any other incidents of inappropriate or illegal use of location data through a third party. Right. Again, some of the uh, illegal or inappropriate use was when a company called Secure Us was selling information to police officers without a warrant. And and it's really interesting, and we covered that story when it came out, but those of us who live here in Keene, New Hampshire, and have had uh, had many friends uh, spend a weekend or a few weeks or months at the uh, Keene Spiritual Center, yes. uh, which we is how we refer to the uh, Cheshire County Jail, yes. Um, you know, for various acts of civil disobedience, we know the securest name because when you go there to visit them, you establish a video link with the person you are visiting through a company called Securus. If you wish to call them on the phone and you set up a time for them to call, you do it through the online system of Securus. Odds are really good that there's a jail in your um, in your area, wherever you are in the United States, that uses these same systems from Securus. Securus has established that they will uh, give information to police officers uh, so they can conduct searches without warrants right. uh, by gaining this access, and and they are tied into your community, and, and that's a real concern. Yeah. Let's go to the phones. We've got Jimmy calling in from New Hampshire. Jimmy, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Chris, you're lucky you still have use of those hands for doxomy, and it's not a joking matter. Thank you for the call, and that was not somebody calling ah. in from New Hampshire. That was somebody who has been told that he's not supposed to be calling this radio program. James, my gosh. Let's go call, to call. Kevin calling in from Virginia. Kevin, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Hey, guys. I just wanted to talk about kind of progressivism, Um but I would call it Marxism, classical Marxism. Yep, go um, ahead. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, so there's heavy Marxism in, in history and in, in uh, universities. Uh, I'm an econ major, so I've never taken a history course, and I'm doing so right now. And this cl- and this class is it, 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 it's really filled with with bullshit. Yeah, um, you can't it, it, say it, that. LRN.FM that cannot be said on broadcast radio, and that was one of them. Dang it. So we got one who actually wanted to talk about Marxism, or at least he said he did. That sounded like another troll. Yeah. And James from Arizona. Man, it's been so long since we've chatted, and you just immediately got banned because you lied about who you were when you called in. Yeah, and he had previously been told that... There was a ban that I don't think has expired. A little bit more from this motherboard piece that we'll get into. Again, some Republican members of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, uh, they sent letters to Microbuilt and Zumigo, which are some of these data aggregators, and they asked for more information on the data that they use and the scope of the agreements that they have with telcos. After Motherboard's investigation, several senators called on the FCC to investigate. Frank Polorny, the chair of the House Commerce or House Committee on Energy and Commerce, asked FCC Chairman Ajit Pai for an emergency briefing on the issue. But 
Pai refused to do so during the government shutdown. Jessica Rosenworkel, commissioner of the FCC, tweeted on Monday, Your wireless phone location data is being sold by shady entities that you never gave permission to track you. That's a personal and national security issue. No law stops the FCC from meeting with Congress to discuss this right now. It needs investigation. Your calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This Do you operate a retail business and are looking for a solution for point-of-sale cryptocurrency acceptance? It's never been easier thanks to AnyPay.Global. There's no paperwork or approval process to open an account. If you already have a tablet, you're almost done. Just sign up at AnyPay.Global, drop your personal crypto wallet addresses on the setup page, and then load the app. That's it. You're accepting cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and Dash at your store. Get started now at AnyPay.Global. AnyPay.Global. This is Free Talk Live, kicking off our number three. You are free to call in and talk live with us. The us in studio tonight is Daryl and Chris. And the toll-free call in line is 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Plus, we do have the Discord on-air call in lines available over at discord.lrn.fm. And as we do from time to time, uh, some people might say too much. Uh, some might say not enough. Venezuela. Venezuela, but not just Venezuela. So if we were to do word association, I say Venezuela, you say... <laughs> I say cryptocurrency. Oh, I say train wreck. Right, and a lot of people will I, I then associ- say hyperinflation. Right. Uh, I then say slow motion train wreck. I say starvation. I s- uh, yeah. Dead zoo animals. Yep. Uh, Maduro. And it's it's really been bad in, in Venezuela. And right. Venezuela and, is experiencing something called hyperinflation. Right. And there was a recent election. Uh, we're not going to delve too far into, uh, but the U.S., government has said that they're not recognizing the validity of the results that the opposition candidate should be deemed the rightful winner uh because voter suppression low turnout etc etc right uh he was arrested and uh there was one person within the venezuelan government that said yeah opposition guy go ahead name your cabinet that way we know who else to throw in prison with you. Right. Uh, but because the U.S. government has said that they're not recognizing Maduro as the legitimate head of state, that allows Maduro to, again, claim victim of the United States government, right. that the opposition is American puppets. Right. And, uh, you know, everything that's happening in Venezuela, hyperinflation, is America's fault. Right. That's not to say that the United States government is blameless here because there are sanctions that prevent you and I from doing business with people in Venezuela. Sadly. And uh, that's it. But this article really is talking about hyperinflation. And for those of you listening who may not be familiar with the term hyperinflation, I think we all know what inflation is, though we may not understand the exact cause. Right. What we think of as inflation is when, when you know, 
I re- I remember a year ago, you know, the price of milk per gallon was, you know, uh, you know, was let's just say a dollar. Let's say a dollar just for argument's sake and and now it's a dollar 10. You know, prices go up. That's what they do. Well, the fact is is that governments control your money. They control how much money goes into circulation and if you have more of something then each unit becomes worth less and less. And in the United States, that's controlled by the Federal Reserve. They determine how much money is in circulation. Right. The, the issue is, is when you get too much money in circulation, then inflation tends to rise. And then you have something like what's going on now, where the Federal uh, Reserve is saying, well, whoa, 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 too much. So we're going to pull back some money. We're going to reduce... Uh, we're going to raise interest rates so we have less money being created by banks because banks also create money out of thin air. They do this by credit, by loans and things like that. So in the old days, when a bank would make loans, they would base it on the amount of money they had in deposits. If I had $1,000 in deposits in my bank, well, I could loan you know those dollars out and earn some interest on that and right. you know if i earn five or six percent interest on it that's great um, and then you can pay the account holders a little bit for storing the money with you because you're making money they're making money right and that's because how why, ba- else, why should i hand my money over to you chris right because and if the answer is simply because i'm going to put it to risk you're going to say, well, what kind of risk? I mean, am I going to lose everything or is this a really, you know, is it a a sound investment? Right. But this is the boring role that banks used to play. They used to earn small amounts of money off of loans and interest because they were going to have to pay out interest to get people to use the banks in the first place. When the Federal Reserve Act came along, it really freed things up for banks to do things like uh, well, enough of this, you know, maintaining reserves for all our loans and our deposits. Let's let's call it fractional reserve banking. Well, so now fractional reserve was around long before the Federal Reserve. It has, um, but it was legitimized and put into national use by the Federal Reserve Act. So in in fractional reserve banking, let's say I get one dollar in deposits. Uh, the way it works now, the system that you've all grown up into is say, if I've got $1 in deposits, now I can loan out $9. Right. And uh, that means that a very small fraction is actually held by the bank of all its deposits, which means if everybody at your bank, if you have a little credit union or something like that that you like to go to, just just organize everybody to go in and say, you know what, I'd like to take out all my money today. You will cause that bank to they collapse. They don't have it. They will not have it. They right. That's what happened uh, at the start of the Great Depression. There was the run on the banks. Yep. And uh, the reason that FDR declared a bank holiday, which meant all the banks closed so people couldn't take their money out. Right. Um, so this is what happens when too much money gets into circulation. In hyperinflation, that and whole system gets out of whack. I, I've got a definition here from Investopedia. Go ahead. Or not actually a definition, but more an explanation. They say, whereas normal inflation is measured in terms of monthly price increases, or often we hear it of yearly, Sure. Uh, hyperinflation is measured in terms of exponential daily increases that can approach 5 to 10% per day. Hyperinflation occurs when the inflation rate exceeds 50% for a month. Right. 
Now, the so, United States runs at around 3% per year. We, uh, the Federal Reserve tries to keep it around Tries there. to be around 3 I think sometimes it's 2 A little uh, bit more. Yep, more but, or less. So let, let's just explain this 50% inflation per month. So that uh, $1 gallon of milk. Yep. Well, on February 17th, yep. it would be $1.50. Yep. And then on March 17th, it would, it would be, be two and a quarter. Yeah. And then. Yeah. And that's how that's considered hyperinflation. Yes. The hyperinflation that the people are feeling in Venezuela goes something like this. Quote. Where they've officially stopped calculating the rate of inflation. Right. The story begins, quote, why do I need Bitcoin? Unquote. I get that question a lot from my friends. This is the writer of this article. Uh, saying the truth is that they don't need Bitcoin. Not really. Credit cards work fine. ATM rely- ATMs reliably spit out cash. Tomorrow, the U.S. dollar will have the same purchasing power more or less than it does today. On a philosophical level, sure, there are plenty of arguments for a decentralized currency, but in terms of what's in it for me at the moment, crypto is about as useful as lugging around a second umbrella. That is not the case in much of Latin America. Consider the case of Eugene Alcasha, a psychologist. She is a Eugenia, I'm sorry. She is a Venezuelan who lives in Caracas. A few months ago, her husband needed an MRI. The hospital scheduled the MRI for a Friday and said it would cost 350 bolivars. A scheduling mishap bumped the MRI to Monday, and by then, the cost had doubled. So from Friday to Monday, it went from 350 to 700 bolivars. And that doesn't mean that the cost of doing an MRI went up. That meant that the money is worth that much less. Yes. Um, quote, I had a friend, a psychologist, who died of pulmonary infection because there were no antibiotics, unquote, said Alakala. Not because he couldn't afford it, because there was no medicine available in the city, unquote. Right. And we've talked about some of the shortages. Yep. Because the suppliers, they want paid in dollars. Yeah. And, well, nobody has the dollars to pay the suppliers. And what happens when you can't pay your suppliers? They don't send you stuff. When they don't send you stuff, you can't put things on store shelves for customers to buy, which means you don't have customers. Right. Uh, the story is going to continue. This is just a typical day in the life of Caracas, says Alcala. Credit card company limits are unable to keep pace with hyperinflation. And, and that's where we're going to stop. Yeah, they, they talk about the credit card problems. Yep. Plus, your calls and thoughts are welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. In studio, it's Daryl. And Chris. And for years, libertarians of all stripes have wanted a directory of liberty-minded businesses. We're helping to build one, and it's liberty.menu. Liberty.menu is a tool for our community. At its core is a directory for events, businesses, digital content, and more. Listings can be rated and reviewed, kind of like on Yelp, but there's also a bit of a social networking aspect that allows you to connect and share with other users. 
Useofliberty.menu is exclusively for individuals who reject the initiation of force and those who agree to abide by the ethics of the non-aggression principle. Put your voluntarist ideas into action at liberty.menu and use code FTL to get a special Free Talk Live listener badge. We can't give you a discount because it's free to use. So 10% off of zero is still zero. But we can give you the Free Talk Live listener badge when you input code FTL over at liberty.menu. Yeah, we've been talking about hyperinflation in Venezuela, which we are off to do. Um, yes. But this is how it sort of ties into cryptocurrency. And uh, the story starts off just uh, talking with a psychologist named Eugenia Alcala. And she's a Venezuela who Venezuelan who lives in Caracas. And she had talked about her husband's uh, MRI that was going to cost 350 bolivars on Friday. But a scheduling mishap bumped it to Monday at which case it doubled. She also talks about a friend, a psychologist, who died of a pulmonary infection because there were no antibiotics, not because he couldn't afford it. There was no medicine available there in the city. There physically were no antibiotics in the city. Right. This is just a typical day in the life of Caracas, says Alcala. Credit card limits are unable to keep pace with hyperinflation. Imagine that your MasterCard has a limit of $5,000, but a loaf of bread costs $1,000 today and $2,000 the next week. Alcala knows a married couple, an engineer and a doctor, who skip dinners so their children can eat. Cash is scarce, so it's hard to buy things like bus tickets. Quote, construction workers camp on the street near the construction sites because they can't get a ticket home, unquote, says Alcala. It's surreal. These problems cascade into others. I had a friend, uh, and this is where she talks about the uh, psychologist who had died of, of lack of antibiotics. Her voice cracking with emotion, Alcala unspools story after story. The friend who needs three credit cards to restock a first aid kit. A child who needed heart surgery but whose parents couldn't find a single hospital to perform the operation. All of the necessary equipment had been stolen. The guy who brought his family and friends to the store so he could buy a refrigerator pooling together all of their credit cards. Quote, I have five banks, unquote, she says, and I have a debit and credit card for each of those banks. Thanks to those 10 cards, she's able to do her weekly grocery shopping. Alcala eventually found a solution, or at least a partial solution, crypto. Let me back up. I learned about Alcala when I was traveling to Medellin, Colombia, Venezuela's western neighbor that, for now, is spared the carnage of hyperinflation. Much of Medellin is safe and gorgeous and packed with culture, yet thanks to the lingering stigma of its well-documented cocaine wars, you can live a high quality of life on something of a bargain. The city is quietly transformed into a haven for remote workers. As for crypto... When I visited a new country, one of the first things I do is troll meetup.com for upcoming blockchain events. Uh, Block- you actually, uh, you, you were talking just a little bit ago off air about an event where somebody found you on meetup. Yeah. Uh, at the Bitcoin Embassy, New Hampshire, we offer free classes for the public or for businesses, um, individuals or businesses on Bitcoin and blockchain and how to understand these things. Um, uh, and the the writer goes on to write. Reason number 347, I'm still single. (laughs) Talking about uh, trolling meetups for blockchain events. 
In Medellin, I see something odd. The next two dozen meetups are all cluttered with invitations for Dash. They're offering lunches and freebies. If you install a Dash wallet, you get a free slice of pizza. This is weird. I've been to 20 countries in the past year, and I've never seen that kind of hyper-aggressive promotion. The promotion looks like a throwback, almost schlocky, to the cheapo coupons you would see in the Yellow Pages back when the world had Yellow Pages. What? Why a Dashathon? Why Columbia? I do a little digging, attend a Medellin blockchain conference, and soon meet George Donnelly, who heads up Dash Columbia. We meet at a co-working space called Selena that has a tattoo shop, DJ booth, meditation room, tastefully grafted walls, and a massive outdoor restaurant with a retractable roof. The place is colorful, bold, loud, and funky. I like it. Quote, Latin America is unique, unquote, says Donnelly, who originally, who's originally from Philadelphia and moved here in 2001. He said that parts of Latin America have a rare combination of three things, strong electrical and Internet infrastructure, weak governments, and a large pool of people. Quote, that's why Dash is building here. This is the place where it's going to happen, unquote. Donnelly cites the work of Peruvian economist Hernando de Soto Polar, who argues that there are billions of people stuck in an, quote, informal economy, unquote, that lacks the bank, bank's credit and financial goodies that the rest of us take for granted. I think most people refer to them as the unbanked. Yeah. And, and they- I have heard over the last several years people talking about how cryptocurrency is supposed to be helping the unbanked, but yet you don't really hear a lot of solutions for here's how you actually get the unbanked to be able to buy or use cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I think that's interesting, and and that's worth taking a look at. There are a lot of solutions that people are doing to try to expand the use of cryptocurrency to people with very little means. Right. You know, and uh, one of the more creative um, solutions, I think, is Cointext. Um, Yeah. This is run by our friend Vin Armani, uh, and the idea there is to capitalize, I think capitalize, on the fact that uh, over a billion people uh, don't have access to any banks, number one, and they live in areas that do not have data, strong data communications via cell phone. Right. So while if you were to go to sub-Saharan Africa, you may not get a, you know, five bars of 4G signal, but you'll see everybody around you, no matter how poor, probably has a flip phone. Right. And they can send text messages. The idea there is that they can do banking and they can send value from one person to another without the need of all the gadgets that we have here. That, to me, is a potential solution for that. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, cites the work of uh, economist Hernando de Soto, who argues that there are billions of people stuck in, in a, quote, informal economy that lacks the bank's credit and other financial goodies that the rest of us take for granted. DeSoto wrote that there are, quote, two parallel economies, legal and extra-legal. An elite minority enjoy the economic benefits of the law and globalization, while the majority of entrepreneurs are stuck in poverty, where their assets languish as dead capital in the shadow of the law, unquote. So we'll talk about how Columbia fits into that profile and why it's attracting so much attention by crypto. And how's this relate to Venezuela? Right. Your calls and thoughts. Welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. 
You want to know the 37 items you must have to survive a crisis? Then I've got some good news for you. Former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author, Jason Hansen is now giving listeners a free copy of his book, The Escape Bag Blueprint, 37 Items You Must Have to Survive a Crisis. You can claim your copy at freeescapebook.com. Don't delay. Jason reveals the guns, knives, flashlights, and water filters that could save your life in an economic collapse or grid-down event. Get your free book today, freeescapebook.com. freeescapebook.com. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Before we get back to the article here about hyperinflation in Venezuela and how crypto is helping Latin America and your phone calls at 855-450-FREE, I want to give a shout out to, and I never thought that I would get to say this as a name of someone who is an amplifier of the show, NSA Surveillance Fan, we thank you. Nice. I, I'm waving at him out, out the studio window. I see him parked across the street thank with a bunch of antennas pointed at for us. For being a silver amplifier, uh, which means that NSA Surveillance Van is contributing at least $5 per month to the AMP program and getting perks like ad-free uh, podcast, getting access to the AMP-only uh, Discord channel, the AMP-only Facebook group. Uh, what are some of the other perks i know that there are some that i just can't think of off the top of my head Get oh f- yeah getting a free shout out and getting to hear daryl say nsa surveillance van right you can learn more about the amp program or join by heading over to amp 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 dot free talk live dot com uh before we jump back into the article let's go to sarah calling in from new mexico Let's see if Sarah can actually hear us this time. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, good. Excellent. You're yeah. on the radio. Go ahead. Yeah, the first time I had problems, but I think I think I know there's a, a powder made from um, fine ripened fruit and vegetables that can help uh, with a rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, I got a friend yeah, who has yeah. that. Look, tell me what it is. Oh, you know what? No, I, I no. The Ian's gonna get really flipped out, mad at me. You know, I mentioned the name of the casino where George um, Nor came to town. He flipped out and uh, he got so mad. I, I I'm not giving out free advertisement. Well, no, no. I, if it's if it's a natural substance that occurs in vine ripened fruits and vegetables or fruits or vegetables, there's nothing proprietary about that. That's just offering something. So what's What's the name of it without having to list a brand name? Well, I mean, but the, the, the thing is, it's a combination of all the fruit and vegetables, and a doctor markets it. And it, it used to be on Fleet Talk um, live um, advertisement, actually, on the commercials. Oh, interesting. Uh, it was probably not something that was actually advertising directly on Free Talk Live. Right. So let me explain how commercials work on uh, syndicated radio shows. So there are some commercials that are ads that we place in the broadcast. Yep. There are other commercials 
that are placed there by the syndicate. In our case, it's the Genesis Communications Network out of uh, like the Twin Cities area. Yeah, could, could we say the syndicator instead of the syndicate? Because that really sounds like the mafia runs this. The the syndication company syndication company the, there the with company that. that does syndication that's better than uh, the genesis communications yeah. and then there are ads that are aired by the local radio station so right. there are three types of ads in nationally syndicated talk radio uh so just because you heard an ad during our show doesn't mean that it was a company advertising with us sarah thank yeah, you appreciate for it. the call Let's go to David calling in from New Mexico. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, I thought you might like to know how I'm redistributing some of your wealth. David, back off of your phone just a hair. It sounds like you're swallowing the headset. Kind of overmodulated. Go ahead. All right, any better? Much. Yes, go ahead. All right, yeah, I just thought you'd like to know how I'm redistributing some of uh, Daryl and Chris's wealth. Ooh. Uh, this year. That's always fun. Um, yeah. So if, if you guys pay any federal tax at all, um, uh, New Mexico, uh, here, I've been gathering some numbers. Some of them are kind of inter- entertaining. Like, uh, for instance, our, our overall state budget is like $6 billion a year, and the school budget gets $3.29 billion of that. And of that $3.29 billion to fund the schools, of which only 7 in 10 graduate, and New Mexico is year after year ranked number 49 or 50 for the uh, effectiveness of the school, the oh. quality of the education. D- David, can I interrupt you right there? Yeah. Uh, what, that, what that means, if you're scoring that low in national testing, then you need to throw more money at the problem. That, oh, well, that, that you, you need to... That. You need to increase that, you know, maybe to 120 or 130 percent of your budget. That might make sense. Okay. Uh, I, first of all, Chris, I need you to confirm that you and I did not uh, <laughs> uh, uh, coordinate this phone call ahead of time to script it so that you would play right into my hands. Okay. We didn't, did we? No, we did not. Okay. So, no. So the, uh, funny you should mention that because the the new governor uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham just gave her state of the state address after getting elected this year, and she is going to increase funding to the schools by uh, uh, five hundred million dollars million dollars. <laughs> it's a thirteen percent increase or increase something like that. It's a start. Um, so so there you go. That she's going to throw more money in it, and let's look. Let's wait and call a year or two and see what the effect was. Now, the half of the budget for the schools comes from the taxes on energy that comes out of New Mexico. New Mexico was the fifth producer in the 50 states, and then it was up to three, and now it's above three. It's either second or number one, and it's on its way to becoming number one. And we tax uh, all, all energy that comes out of the ground here. We tax it at a rate of from 8% to 20% is the statistic I heard the the other day, and that uh, comes out to uh, typically like $2.6 billion a year, and half of that money goes to the the school budget. And um, I I also just heard today that um, with this government shutdown, that if the SNAP uh, benefits, the food benefits, stop coming from the federal government, that means that that's $50 million per month that the rest of you fine citizens that pay federal taxes around the 50 states contribute to the state of New Mexico. 
because New Mexico is basically the lowest producer in the nation, which means um, of that 50 million they receive every month, um, they probably don't contribute hardly any of it, uh, maybe uh, uh, 150th at most, and I'm sure it's less than that. Um, so that's another interesting statistic. Oh, we, we also, we do happen to have, from all these ener this energy, we do have $20 billion in the bank here in New Mexico for uh, whatever we would choose to spend it on. How so much debt um, does New Mexico have? Uh, New Mexico, well, uh, they don't carry any year-to-year -year debt. They, they may have a budget, budget surplus like they do this year because of uh, energy production. Right. And other years they may have an, an annual deficit, but they simply, well, they have a, in their constitution, we're not allowed to run a, a, a deficit year, year in and year out. They, if they come up short, they got to repay it basically immediately. Make, well, there are other states uh, like Texas requires a balanced budget, but yet they have a giant debt. And I actually pulled up the U.S. debt clock. And David, thank you for the call. Pulled up the U.S. debt clock that shows for the state of New Mexico, they have a debt of... $15,102,315,607, and it keeps going up by about a dollar a second. Yeah, and that's that's just staggering. And and this reminds me, this is a story that I really should have brought in, and it would have been fun to discuss, and it sort of parlays into this, but this was a, it was a fee article, um, Foundation for Economic um, Education. Education. And we're big fans of those guys. And they did an article in November that somehow I missed the first time around, but it was titled, Why Su Teen Suicide is Lower in States that Have More School Choice. Yeah, I seem to recall that we discussed that. Yeah, um, but I found it really compelling. And, you know, and for all the talk we have of how much our educational system costs and test scores nationwide are flat or falling. No, I don't know of any state where... where test scores across the state are improving given this Prussian system that we're under. I think we need to try some new things. Yeah. And school choice would definitely be something that would be good. Yeah. Uh, I don't think vouchers are the way to go with that. I don't either. I think giving parents choices is the right way to Your go. calls and thoughts welcome. 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. Possibly time for you and your thoughts if you call in now. Again, to 855-450-FREE. Plus, we've got the Discord on-air call-in lines available over at discord.lrn.fm. We'll get back into the article here from... Uh, Breaker Mag, which is not a source that I'm familiar with, uh, but the guy is relaying information of uh, encounters he's had with people from Venezuela and from nearby, was it uh, Colombia? Yes. Uh, specifically in regards to cryptocurrency and how it might actually wind up being able to help people in areas that are you know sort of hard hit by... Uh, economic factors. But before we get back into the story, I want to make sure that I tell you about the Ronald McDonald House Charities currently doing a fundraiser for them. And on October 13th, I'll be representing Ronald McDonald House Charities at the 2019 Chicago Marathon. 
As a member of Team RMHC, I'll be training, fundraising, and ultimately running 26.2 miles to help keep families together during a stressful time. More than 40% of families served at a Ronald McDonald House have children in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU, and the more than 360 Ronald McDonald Houses worldwide help families stay close to their sick children when they need to heal. Just $25 can provide dinner for a family, and $80 can give a family a room for a night. Help me raise $2,000 for the Ronald McDonald House Charities to not only help me achieve my goal, but also help children stay close to their families when they need it most because I've been there myself. You can donate over at rmhc.fppradio.com. That's rmhc.fppradio.com. And we've been discussing this article about Venezuela and South America and cryptocurrency. And uh, George Donnelly, who is uh, from originally from Philadelphia, but he's working with Dash down there trying to promote it, um, he cites the work of Peruvian economist Hernando de Soto Polar, who a lot of people in crypto, believe it or not, are familiar with um, because he has some initiatives that I think are really important. Um, the idea that here's one for you. Let's say you own a home. All right. You own a home, Daryl, and you know you own that home because you have what? A deed? Yep. Yep. You have a deed, therefore you own it and you can prove it. Or in a loyal title, which is some mythical thing that some people say exists. <laughs> right. Uh, but if you have a deed to a home, you can go to court and you can prove ownership of that. Or you could take that deed to a bank and say, I want to use my home as collateral for this small business loan to get started, yes. for example. How about those billions of people, and I'm talking billions of people in the world, that live in countries that don't have a formal system of deeds. They cannot prove that the land that they and their you know, forebears have been farming for, say, five generations right. actually belongs to them. Therefore, they cannot prove that it is theirs. They cannot use that land as collateral. So when DeSoto talks about billions of dollars locked up in an informal economy where no benefits can be gained... This is what he's talking about, and his sort of pet project is to basically blockchain, um, create an immutable record of ownership for these types of people. Um, he sa- uh, Somebody else says, uh, fintech is a huge problem here, uh, says Jove Gavira, a local blockchain consultant, in a lunch break at the conference. Gavira ticks off the problems in Colombia. Quote, people don't have access to banks. These people don't have credit identities. Blockchain can help solve this. In something of a paradox, Colombia's lack of infrastructure could make it easier to implement blockchain solutions. This is always known as the, quote, leapfrogging concept, unquote, the idea that developing countries without the scaffolding of legacy banks can harvest blockchain to do things better. At the lunch, someone from the Blockchain Center gives me an analogy. Quote, what would be harder, going to the U.S. and changing your entire highway system or un- or paving new roads in an empty country? Well, obviously, uh, completely changing the highway system, <laughs> which is why even though what the move began back in the 70s to switch over to metric. Right. We're still <laughs> one of like three countries that are using the imperial system, which 
oddly enough, it's named the Imperial System right. of using miles. <laughs> This uh, story, and we're not going to read, we don't have time to go through this whole yeah, story. Yeah, I will post the link He's going to post the link. Medias. But a couple things it talks about, there's a propensity for uh, South American people, it seems, to uh, be very tempted by scams, and cryptocurrency has certainly had its scams. Um, and, you know, the idea that because these countries are rich in electric and electric power, uh, they may be great places where uh, Bitcoin mining and cryptocurrency mining may occur. Um, and believe it or not, and this comes as a surprise, you know, what we all hear about is are the crazy swings in the Bitcoin price. You know, last last year it was $20,000 at Christmas. Insane. And by, you know, now it's thirty four, thirty six hundred 3600 somewhere around uh, there. Yeah, about thirty six. Yeah, so that's a pretty big swing. Um, if you look at it long term, uh, not so much. Uh, two years ago, uh, Eugenia um, Alcala, who we were speaking of originally, she is a psychologist from uh, from Venezuela, had a health problem that forced her to miss work. And when she was ready to return, she didn't want to earn the income only in bolivars. The hyperinflation was crippling. At first, she tried to earn income in U.S. dollars, but says the Venezuelan government made this tricky. She was not allowed to have a bank account outside her own country. She had no non-Venezuelan credit cards and no way to get her PayPal account verified. So she began exploring crypto. Bitcoin was obviously a possibility. She was drawn to the government's model of Dash, where 10% of the mining incentives go to the Treasury, which theoretically could be spent to build an ecosystem in Venezuela. She submitted a proposal to the Dash Treasury, and within a month, they greenlit a project. Other Venezuelans uh, have done the same thing. Alejandro Ecovera and Lorenzo Rey are leading separate evangelist teams uh, within the Dash community. And there's now 2,427 Dash accepting merchants in Venezuela, nearly 10 times as many as there are in the United States. And I know that there have been people that have called into question that number. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or it could be that. There have been 2,427 merchants in Venezuela that accepted Dash one time. Right. Doesn't mean that people are using them regularly. Whereas here in little Keene, New Hampshire, with 23,000 people when the college students are in town. <laughs> right. We have, what, somewhere close to a dozen places that accept cryptocurrency? I know the count has been over 20 at various times. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, it varies. I, I'm just trying to think brick and mortar because right. you know, there are countless, I, not really countless, but, you know, like there are a bunch of online merchants. Sure. Uh, but there are also a lot of brick and mortar places where I can go and pick stuff up inside a store. I think if you and I sat down, we could easily name 20 uh, places like that inside Keene. Yeah. I could also go to coinmap.org <laughs> and see what and they say. Take a look myself. Yeah, um, but the idea is is that as you get but more more the, penetration, the difference is yep. Here in Keene, I know I can actually go and people do on an almost daily basis go to places and use crypto. I I went to the dentist yesterday, Daryl. That's never a happy experience for me. Yeah, um, but I paid for it in crypto. <laughs> I went to an I went to a dentist yeah. and, and I know that they take crypto so 
I paid him in a little bit of Bitcoin and a little bit of Bitcoin Cash, and I paid him with a little bit of Dash, just because I didn't happen to have all the money I needed all in one currency at the time. But he's like, no problem. Yeah, we accept all those. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a it's a necessary step if this is going to get adopted. And, and the the moral of the story is is that when you can no longer trust government government money then you have to have an alternative. Right. And the people of Venezuela are finding that out. And the solution is not going to be Maduro's uh, crypto petro. Um, right. That's probably never actually going to roll out. Right. And where he's claiming that, uh, oh, you have to have the petro to be able to get a passport, but nobody can actually get their hands on the petro <laughs> which essentially says nobody in venezuela can get a passport right that's pretty much it we're out of time for tonight but we'll be back tomorrow because well it's a day and we're live every day of the year and we are always available online at freetalklive.com Podcast download numbers are the most quantifiable and important numbers that we can show an advertiser. So please, if you've not already done so, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or in the podcatcher of your choice. Ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast, so please give us a rating and review on any podcast platforms that you use. Ratings and reviews are used to move a podcast up in search results, which means it's easier for others to find the show. This is free advertising for us, it's easy for you, and it tells other people that you like the show. Subscribe, give us five stars, and leave a review.